1: I'm joined by Kathy Brown. And today we are going to focus on prayer. Prayer in terms of its proper uses and prayer in terms of current abuses to give some insight and in how to be more obedient to the commands of God within the structure of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And righteousness and justice will also pertain to prayer because it pertains to all things. So, hi,
0: Kathy. Good morning, Andrea.
1: I'm going to let you take the the helm on this one because the even our idea of even having a podcast on this topic had to do with some things that came out of a study we were doing in our institute's class, and just things that you have focused on.
0: Well, there's a growing trend in modern evangelicalism for abuses in prayer. We the the big target. I say target as though we're aiming at something to obliterate it. We're aiming to correct something. This time it'll be the modern prayer chain uh, and, and how it's not quite used how it biblically should be, how it's prone to abuses, and how we have to learn how to weed out those abuses and train ourselves in how we ought to be praying and how we ought to be feeling towards others so that we can go to our Father with our prayers and our concerns.
1: So why don't you explain for some people who might not know the term prayer chain, what a prayer chain is, or at least what it's posited to be, and then your sense of how there's some abuses in terms of a biblical orientation.
0: The concept of the prayer chain is that prayer is, is something that the whole church should be doing for each other, holding each other up then how do we get all of that information to who needs to be praying for it how do we get the how do we get members in the know so that they can pray and we have developed what seemed like an expedient system with with phone relays or or automated messages going out to all of the members which in its efficiency is nice but it also leaves it open to a lot of abuses as just a mass distribution of information and there's a nature of prayer that's meant to be less mass information, mass prayer, mass number of people going with a very generic request, and earnest Christians praying earnestly about each other in very specific ways. So the prayer chain as it is nowadays, unfortunately, has kind of diminished to nothing but the telephone game. Someone passes this information along, and someone passes this information along, and while we say it's for the purpose of prayer, it tends to be just to pass along information about Everyone in the church, and then everyone related to everyone in the church, and then everyone that everyone in the church even knows randomly from 20 years ago, and it's it's becoming just a gossip circle.
1: Okay, so to go by this definition, not all churches have prayer chains, but a lot of times, even in prayer meetings, they'll say, are there any prayer requests? And so people will go around, and they'll make their requests, and sometimes there's a lot of detail that's given. My father said this to my brother and then he said this back and you're sitting there and it sounds an awful lot like what could be classified as gossip because 10 minutes go by and then you hear and really pray that this works out. So you could say the prayer request could be my dad and my brother are at odds with each other and there's not a harmony in the household. Could you please pray for peace in our Mm -hmm. household? but godly peace. That's a short prayer request. Mm -hmm. Is it necessary for me to know in this request for prayer that your brother took the car without permission and your father had told him many times in the past, you must ask me, but he didn't because sometimes he has, you know, in other words, we're getting all this information. Aside from the fact that it's like too much information because we have our own interpretations. Maybe I had the same issue with my kids, or I remember when my father or my mother put those restrictions on me. See, we're getting all this personal information, and it's coming in under the guise of, I want prayer. Do we really assume God doesn't know what's happening in her family? Or do we think that we have to detail this because we want people to pray a particular
0: way? The problem with the detailing in the prayer group or in the prayer chain is not that there isn't a valid reason to sometimes need to explain those particulars, but it's not to absolutely everybody. Generally, when people bring those particulars, it's because they're they're suffering under the weight of this issue day in and day out, and they need to be upheld. But the place to be upheld isn't the entire church body. It's a smaller circle of friends. So the whole church body can pray for a very general prayer request, and then you have this small circle of friends, this one or two people that you call, that you pour out your heart to, saying, this is really weighing on me. I need help and support in this, in addition to what's going on with that, in a way that's not gossip, in a way that admits I don't want to just give all the information and make you feel bad about this person or make you judge them in a particular way. Their discontent is now wearing on me. I need prayer for myself as well on the sidebar to be able to be upheld during this time while I'm trying to help them. That makes its way into the general prayer meeting. That exhaustion, that aggravation makes its way in there from truly earnest people. We need to be able to take care of that too, but that's not done in mass. We've lost the art of the small circle. We've lost the art of the inner circle, the one or two friends who are in the know. We're the Facebook generation. We're going to post it out there to everybody, and everybody can know all of our dirty laundry. Even worse, the world tells us we should be doing that. We shouldn't have anything private or exclusive. We should just let everyone know everything. No, that, that's not going to help us. That's, that leads towards gossip. That leads towards oversharing and overinformation. So for the, for the prayer chain, for the prayer group, for the prayer meeting, it should just be smaller. And a good, good note, a good rule of thumb, how many minutes are spent talking about the prayer request versus how many minutes are actually spent praying. We get a rundown regularly from a family member. Oh, all of these things are going on and all of these people need prayer. And da, 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 da. It takes a good 45 minutes, an hour, a week to get all of the quote updates and pray for this person. While we know, well, that person didn't actually ask for prayer, they were just blowing off steam at you, but you've turned it into a prayer request so that then you can turn around and pass that information along. And I know you spend more time passing that information along to people than you actually do praying for those issues. So that should be a good stopping point. And it's not just something that we police ourselves about. If you have people in your life that regularly do that, you try to keep pulling it back to the, what exactly needs prayed for. Did they ask you to give me all of that information? Sheesh, that sounds really private. Do they really want everybody knowing that? Even if their answer is, yes, oh, I'm sure they want every. Well, I'm I'm not comfortable knowing that about somebody that I've never actually met face-to-face that I barely know a name on. But I will pray that the situation is better, that God's will is done, and that everyone is, is comforted in it.
1: So this goes back to what prayer actually is and what it accomplishes. Is God more moved by 50 people praying for Aunt Henrietta's hemorrhoids as opposed to 3 people? And if Aunt Henrietta doesn't know we're sharing this about her 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 physical problem, <laughs> is, is she going to be comforted when you run into Aunt Henrietta and go, "Oh, how are your hemorrhoids? I, you know, we've been praying for you." And I, of course I'm using a silly example here, but what is prayer? Prayer is honest communication to God, making our wants and wishes known, but after we've acknowledged him as God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, so that's the first part, where we come to him knowing who he is. So God isn't somebody who we call up and we're making a phone order from Safeway that says, make sure you bring this and this and this and this and this. You've said it really well. More time is spent on the prayer request often than on the prayer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's so silly and I really have to discipline myself. So everybody goes around, do we have any prayer requests? Right. So we get the prayer requests and then somebody says, okay, let's partition them out. Julie, you take, you know, the hemorrhoids, you take her husband's job, you take this. And now people are like on the spot because they, they have to pray. For something they just heard, maybe they understand the circumstance or not. And so, as you put it, the prayer request is juicier and more informative than, Dear God, help this situation with so-and-so's aunt.
0: Well, we've come to the point in prayer that we look for economy in the business of prayer, and we, we look for the formula that's going to make it accomplished. Both of those have come because we've gone about the business of prayer instead of the actual doing of prayer. A remedy for this or at least an eye opener is to sit down and to take one person who you're close to who you know needs something prayed for and see if you can pray for them for god's will in their life through this situation for more than 10 minutes now it's, it's not a it's not a it's not a race it's not a see who can be the holiest and have the longest and most flowing of prayers but if you know someone if you're, if you're part of the inner circle or you're intimately acquainted with them, you should be able to sit down and go, this is, God, this is where they're at in their life. And I begin to see them struggling with this. And I would hope that I want them to be upheld through this and this. And God, make openings that they can receive help in this area and give the strength to this person who's also helping them. You should be able to sit down and and spend more time in prayer on the people that you're closer to. If you have a hard time doing that, then it shows that your entire concept of prayer has just become an economy of prayer. Get as many requests in as possible, throw as many requests out as possible, and get as many people doing it as possible. And that's the ticket to making sure that our prayers are heard. We're going to overwhelm
1: God. We're going to make sure like he's going to get so many of these requests that he's going to take (laughs) somebody else's thing and put it number two because the boards are lighting up on number one.
0: Call somebody's cousins because we need three more people to reach the minimum number for God to make this actually happen. It's two (laughs) minutes to midnight. Hurry, get on the phone.
1: Another aspect to this is that if we're going to bear each other's burdens, then we do want people to share their burdens. You can't bear if they don't share. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's suffering in silence and you would really like to know. So I've made a practice of not necessarily having a list of 20 things that I'm going to bring to prayer, there are certain things that when I hear about them, they touch me in a way that I can only assess that the Holy Spirit is going, yeah, this one's for you. And then I have this big whiteboard in my kitchen area, which used to be used for algebra and math and stuff like that when I was homeschooling. Now I sort of call it my brain. Remember Mm -hmm. to do this, remember to do that. And when I walk into this area of the house, I read the entire board to make sure that there's something that I might need to do that I may have forgotten about. And for the people that God puts on my heart, I write their name. And so now, as I'm looking at everything else, I see this person's name. And it's not that I have to kneel down and make this 20-minute sort of petition to God, but I'm remembering them in prayer. And it was a mutual teacher that we both have studied under in terms of his books, Dr. R.J. Rushduni, who talks about in his systematics prayer, that real prayer is like communication to a family member, one sentence, two sentences. So if the person whose name on my board is Penelope, and I see her name, and I go, God, you know, I don't know what she's going through right now. Often what comes out of those times of remembering her in prayer is something that I can do. And so I might write an email saying, thinking of you, I might realize that okay, she's sad right now because someone she loves isn't around and it's their anniversary. You know what? I can send her flowers. In other words, out of my prayer, out of remembering her comes an action I can do is a work that will match my faith that says she's hurting God, she's in the family of God. And it could also be for someone who is being apostate or disobedient, or someone who has yet to come to faith. In other words, we take our time with God in prayer, which is an important time, and we include those things that mean something to us, rather than, oh, I forgot to pray for Geraldine, and I said I would, and
0: I don't even remember why she needed prayer. Earnest and biblical prayer spurs us to, it spurs us to our duties, and it spurs us to our debt. It spurs us to our, our duties that we need to be doing for each other and how we're supposed to be holding each other up in communion and community. And it spurs us to the debt of love. We realize th- that we do. We are. We are a community. We are a people together, united under God. And there is a debt of love that is owed between us. And earnest and honest biblical prayer reminds us of that. It calls us back to this relationship because it calls us all back to our Father's lap to pour out our hearts as one. So, yeah, the best prayer, the best prayer is, is one that, that keeps someone on our minds, keeps us on our knees for them. Again, it doesn't have to be forever and a day, but it is, like you said, it's it's one or two sentences here and there, but it's four or five times a day. Oh, I thought about them again. I wonder how this is going on. I know this was happening nowadays. That's a lot better than the other type of prayer list that, that comes out there when everyone sits around in the prayer meetings and goes, okay. Everyone, uh, this is your prayer request. This is this prayer request. Here's our list of 15 things that we're praying for this week. Make sure that you've got it on your nice neat post-it so that you can go down it real quick in the morning while you're eating your cereal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wrote all those things down, and I was sitting in the prayer meeting for two hours, and now I've got to spend the two minutes to actually physically name those out in the technical right. prayer. To- and also,
1: I've experienced that there are times where in the midst of just praying about other things or going about my life, someone comes to mind, someone who I hadn't thought about in a while. Sometimes those people end up in my dreams. And I don't know about you, but when I try to figure out why on earth did I dream about that, since God is in control of everything, I'm not just going to make it chemical reactions in my brain that have spurred me to remember somebody who I knew, for example, 15 years ago, but I haven't been in touch with. I try to make a point of saying, okay, this could be a knock on my door that I should do something. And so if I call them, or I now with the ability to get a hold of people through Facebook, through email, through messenger, through, I mean, there's so many different ways we can get a hold of people. Skype, that's the way to get a hold of people. Suddenly, as I'm reaching out there, there's also this possibility that says they're going to think, wow, am I being nosy like? Why am I calling? I can't tell you how many times people say, I cannot believe you're calling me right now. There was this need, that, and and all of a sudden, you're calling. How did that happen? And I'm quick to say, don't give me all this much credit that I'm this empathetic person. I'm responding to a nudge, and I recognized it as a nudge because you were in my dream last night. So I figured I ought to do something about this.
0: We have a tendency in reform circles to avoid anything that has any trace or whiff of mysticism to it. But we have to recall, we have a portion of the Godhead lodged in us. God the indwelling, the Holy Spirit, that's a piece of Almighty God within us that moves us towards His will and His word when we're being obedient. So yeah, we could be scared of the mystical aspect going, oh, well certainly it's not just some random thing that's coming in there. It's got to be there's got to be an explanation for it. there is. You're a child of God, part of him is lodged in you, and he's saying, This needs to be done. That's not this big, super, ultra-miraculous, mystical thing. That's how he works. That's how he's worked in history. That's how he worked in the Bible. And he would be changing his character if he suddenly stopped doing it now just because people took the Holy Spirit to extreme mystical ends a couple hundred years ago. So we need to completely void ourselves of all references to mystical nature of the Holy Spirit. And we want to make
1: sure that we're not misrepresenting our commitment. How many times do you say to someone, yes, I will pray for you, and then you never give it a second thought? They may not know. They may have this comfort, I'm so glad you're praying for me, but God knows that it was an empty gesture. And when the scripture says if you look at somebody who's hungry and you say, I really pray you get some food, but you don't give them some food, (laughs) or somebody doesn't have a place to live and I say, I really pray that you find housing but I don't mention that we have a couch that you could sleep on. We want to make sure that our witness is truly before God as opposed to man, because that other person said, I just, you know, Andrea's just wonderful. She just prays. She just says she prays for me, but she doesn't, you know, check in and say, okay, how many, she can't check this independent roster and say, by golly, she did pray for me. I'm so grateful. I just told her I would. I think we're so used to our words not being as important as our actions, but they're both important. So if I tell you I'm going to do something and I don't do it, then I have failed to keep my word. Like I said, it's sin and righteousness can be in our thoughts, in our words and in our deeds. So if you're going to pray for somebody, and you really are going to pray for somebody, make sure that when you say it, you do it, as opposed to not do it.
0: As with all of Christendom, all of, all of our doctrine. We don't stop at the heart. We don't stop at the, oh, that moves me, ergo, I fulfilled my Christian commitment because I was moved. No, if we if we truly feel it in our heart, if we're truly moved in our heart, then it affects our mind and it affects the works of our hands. It It drives us. So don't cheapen our faith by just letting it be a feeling. Oh, I feel really bad for you. I'm not going to go drive about my day and do whatever and then hope that I remember it later on. If I was actually moved, I'm going to sit down and, and pray right then and there. Steering, steering wheel prayers are one of my favorite because, yeah, we, we can multitask. That's as close to a closet as you can get because no one else is in there besides you and the kids in the back seat, and they have no idea what you're saying because they're kind of screaming their own way. <laughs> <laughs> Turn around as, as quickly as you can, not just to say, oh, checkbox, I got it done, but to train yourself. If it truly is that much weighing on your heart, then shouldn't it be coming out in the work of your hands? Shouldn't it be coming out in the thoughts in your mind right then and there? And the more immediacy you give to that, the more you train yourself to, yeah, it's not enough just to feel it in my heart. I have to do something with this. And then suddenly it's not just enough to pray for you to find food. Yeah, it's going to throw the schedule off. Let's go down to the store right now because there's a big storm coming up and you need food in your house and your paycheck isn't coming for another five days. I'm going to take care of that right here and right now. Yes, it can be inconvenient on us, but is it really inconvenient on us? Why were we there at that moment? Why were we spurred in our hearts? Why did the Holy Spirit reach out to us and move us so much? Because it needed to be done. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? the GCS apprenticeship program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. The whole aspect
1: of the role of women not only in their families but in communities. It's not that women aren't capable of managing corporations or doing research, medical research or any number of other things that society would benefit from. It's that when women are available to interact with other people, then the skill set that would make us excellent in all these other fields is actually being used to build society. Mm -hmm. When I talk about women, especially wives and mothers being the gatekeepers of the culture, we are training up and instituting certain practices in our families because we want to export that to the culture but we also have a responsibility to help the culture around us to be able to receive that world in life view. And so, no, it's not 5,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 people we might affect, but we might affect two or three, Mm -hmm. and in such a way as to really help them by our good works to glorify our Father in heaven. And if they're not believing that they recognize their need for the Father, And if they are believing, an understanding of how to make it richer. And so when the scripture talks about to not despise the day of small things, it doesn't mean that, yeah, but then eventually you want it to be big things. No, the small things is where it matters. I am sometimes amazed that, for example, there are some women now, grown women with their own families, who on Facebook will post two or three people who had a profound effect on their life. And sometimes I mentioned, and my thought is, whoa, how did that come? I mean, I I remember interacting with them and stuff, but why are they so moved by that? And I asked one recently, and what she said was, when I was making mistakes in a co-op class, how you addressed those mistakes was with love and kindness and helped me realize I could do more. And I've had the Pleasure of watching the effect this particular woman has on many, many students. She says, "I just do a lot of the way I saw you do it." Now, (laughs) at the time, I'm not sure I would have gotten a lot of applause for what I was doing. And right now, I'm sure most people go, "Oh, that's nice, click. Let's look at the next thing." Go, although look what's happening in Bermuda. In other words, it's the next Facebook post, and so they saw that and went over. But it tells me that I've had the ability to transfer. A certain mindset that now she's applying either with her own family or the people she comes in contact with. So the availability to do something in terms of a person's need is so vital. And I think women are poised specifically to do it. And I wish I could get more to appreciate how, yes, running the corporation or doing any number of other things, you're more than qualified but in God's economy, I'm not sure that that's not a step down, that you've taken a lesser job when there's a more important job that you might be leaving empty.
0: We come up against the, the problem that we've read the Bible and, and we've read Christian history and the stories that are put in there aren't the, the lady who changed her mother-in-law's diapers for the last five years of her life. They're all of the big, fancy, flashy, showy things that get names remembered, the, the big incidents. Those, those happen, obviously, because they're in history. But that's not the normal matter of of how God works. God works in the everyday. God works in the quiet moments. You, You read that book and you see how much it talks about this is how you're supposed to live day in and day out. That's because the greatest part of his will is accomplished in the commonplace day in and day out. That is not a lesser. That is the majority. That is the 90%, the 95% of what has to happen. So why would we hold up and and make a big deal out of the 5% because they're big and flashy when 95% of the work needs to be done in the boring, mundane, everyday? But that's how he set it up to work. It's an everyday. It's constantly in people's faces. It's constantly showing. It's a regular reminder. That's far bigger.
1: And what makes us think... But those big accounts of the famous women, Esther, Ruth, Abigail, um, Deborah, everybody wants to bring Deborah, that she, you know, went ahead and she was there because they were going to go to battle. And where did they come from? How did their mindset develop to the, the point that they were able to do great things? Because if you're faithful in a few things, then you'll be given more to be faithful with. And so for my personal experience, any time when my kids were growing up, that I gravitated towards that which was flashy and other people would be really impressed and that I would be doing great things for great people and noticed I was neglecting my family, I realized that was gonna be an empty witness. And I wish I could tell you it came as a result of study and no, because when everything started falling apart in my family, I realized I had my priorities wrong, and I also realized that I wasn't going to be as good a witness as I thought if people actually hung around and were the fly on the wall in my household and say, "Wow, that sounds good that you say women should do this," but your children are talking to you and you're saying, "Stop it! I'm doing important kingdom work."
0: Well, mm, no, we shouldn't. We shouldn't endeavor for that anyway. While while it's nice that God calls that and causes it to happen. The bigger dangers exist there. As you said, you, you, kept, you chased it. You look for it because then people would see you. And, and the tendency in all of those big things, the, to the temptation is always to make it for self-glory. Even if that isn't really truly what we want, we can't keep that completely out of it. There's always a part of us that is tempted by that and that gives into it and works towards it a little bit more. We don't have that temptation when we're not called to greatness. I love the Ecclesiastes verse, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Work hard with your hands and do that which God has put before you. It, that is the safest mode. Not saying that we, sh- we aren't occasionally called to take risks, but most of us aren't going to have to go through the fire of that big of a risk to accomplish something that big, and that is a mercy. Don't go looking for the big things. Be content to accomplish big things in the small matters.
1: And something to go back to our posture in prayer When Jesus gave us what we come to know as the Lord's Prayer, it isn't that we can't pray that prayer. We certainly do, and my husband and I do it daily in our devotions. But it also is a pattern of prayer Mm -hmm. and the correct steps. So if it wasn't, okay, this is how you should pray. Our Father, I want this, I want this, I want this. That's not the first thing. We get down to our petitions well into coming to God with reverence, and real true agreement with, we want his will done. So I'm always a little hesitant to say, especially with circumstances I'm not familiar with, you know, I'll get a notice that somebody's brother was in a car accident, and they're not sure if he's going to live. And people say, please pray. Well, instead of saying, God, this person should live, please have this person. I mean, I don't know enough of the circumstance to know what should happen. And so it's, God, your will be done in this case. These people, There's a whole bunch of people affected by this. May your will be done truly, that which will glorify you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, when it's personal, when it's my granddaughter who was sick, and now it was all-consuming, maybe I'm a little bit more directed with God saying, oh, please heal her, please. I mean, but it's still the same. God's will is going to be done. And if God's answer is obvious in terms of she doesn't get better or the person who was in the car accident dies, then we come to God and we thank him for his perfect will,
0: yeah.
1: right? So we're not going there telling God what to do, but we're supposed to be genuine. We're not supposed to have this posture. I mean, if you went and talked to your husband and you said, good husband, please do blah, blah, blah. And he's like, whoa, that's not how you talk to me, Right. You're not going to be abusive and say, hey, you, you do what I tell you to do. It's, there's this, this affinity, this, this, this bond of an intimacy that says we sort of know each other, right? Well, God knows us. If we don't know His law, if we don't understand the application of it, then we don't know Him very well because His law is a manifestation of who He is. And so, that will help us in our prayer life so that we're not bringing demands on God that his word clearly says that's not who he is. So don't ask God to do things that his word says he's not going to do.
0: And that's, that's another one of the biggest problems in the modern prayer chain, in the modern prayer circle, is this understanding that we're all supposed to get together and pray for the complete removal of sickness, of, of death, of hardship. That's not a Christian prayer. We're supposed to be discomforted. We're supposed to be dis-eased because it keeps us from being worldly. It keeps us from focusing on what we have. Yeah, sin entered the world and with it death and sickness. And yet how wonderful is God's plan that even though that was a penalty, yet he still uses it for his good. He uses it for our humbling. He uses it for our holiness. I wish we would learn to pray more for our holiness than our happiness. Because happiness is complacency happiness leads us away from god oh no no i'm sure i'm sure god really wants what's good for me and what's good for me is what makes me happy no no what's good for you is what makes you holy and leads to heaven it leads towards your sanctification if you think that god is only there to make you happy then you're saying that god is only there to make you ignore him even more god is only there to get you more hooked on this world and, and not with your eyes set on eternity. We as Christians shouldn't pray that way. When we don't know, it should be, yeah, okay, Lord, I'm not really sure of all the particulars, but thy will be done. And when we do know, when it is part of our inner circle, when it is somebody we are closer to, we should use that discernment. We should use that discretion and that wisdom going, God, I know this is difficult for them right now. But we can look and see why this is difficult going on. They were starting to wander away. And I thank you that you're using this to draw them back to you. I thank you that you're using this. (laughs) Well, they weren't wandering, but they had a family member that was starting to. And you're allowing them to persevere under this very well so that the family member might be drawn back. Those are godly prayers. Those are biblical prayers. They're focused on the holiness at the end of the day. They're focused on our sanctification, not our happiness, not our comfort in this world, but our preservation until the next.
1: In the book of James, it says, count it all joy when you experience trials and tests and tribulations. Now, he doesn't say experience it as joy, because a lot of times it hurts badly, wow. right? But count it as joy. In other words, walk by faith, not by sight. That in God's economy, what looks right now as a disaster is really redemption that's why when the apostles were crushed what happened to all their hopes he just died on the cross he's in the tomb we better find a new identity a new perspective because this one didn't work well really did it not work or were they not privy to the end from the beginning because Calvary was not a failure. Calvary was a success. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And why a lot of other religions can't get behind Jesus Christ, because he was crucified. He lost. Oh, no, he did not. And that way, if, if we approach it in terms of what's happening in my family right now is a disaster. Well, if it drives you to your Savior, then it's not a disaster. Maybe without this disaster... You were going along pretty well thinking that, hey, you know, once saved, always saved. Everything's good with me. I don't have to rethink this like those other folks who don't know the truth. So when you're suddenly laid bare and you have to say, wow, have I have I miscalculated how faithful I'm being? Because the scripture says God is always faithful. So if we're having a difficulty, it's not God who's not faithful. Maybe it's
0: us. And there's a there's a mercy and there's a blessing that comes in praying this way, too. When you when you start praying, looking for God's will to be done, uh, when you start praying with the understanding that this is for our good, our discomfort is for our ultimate good. You begin to train your mind and your heart. You begin to see then as you go through these things, this actually ended up helping. I can see not only did this help, but I can see how Five years ago, when we went through this minor problem of this, that actually helped prepare us for this. There was a purpose in that suffering that's now playing itself out now. And you can begin to see how God works, not just in the general big picture of dominion coming over the world, but specifically in your life, in your circumstances, how he has wrought everything to your eternal good. And that that grows your faith. So much that increases your sanctification because it reaffirms his goodness, it reaffirms his plan. When you start looking for his plan and saying it was God's will that this happened, this is for my good, this is how he's correcting me, then you look for it in the future and you don't fight it as much. The next time something difficult comes up, you're going, There's a reason for this, okay. I needed drawn back or I'm not feeling like I need drawn back but huh this other person is here in my life a lot more than they were the last time and they're sitting there amazed that I can be patient through this this is a witness to them God use me then this doesn't sting me as much anymore because I understand use me more for their sake right so we've got to
1: get away from prescriptive prayer. You know, when you go to the doctor, he gets out his little pad and he writes out a prescription, he hands it to you, and there's this hope that it's going to make whatever your boo-boo is feel better or whatever's bothering you go away. Well, we know enough to know that sometimes that's just palliative. It makes you feel better, but it hasn't really gotten rid of the problem. So instead of telling God what to do in our prayers and instead of saying the only acceptable answer here, God, is yes. So let me just tell you, I'm asking for this, and the only way you've answered prayer is if you say yes. Well, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. And sometimes, it takes time for this, you've asked the wrong question. (laughs) (laughs) You're so sure that was the issue, but that's not the issue at all. So in, in any sort of mentoring relationship I am with anybody who's asked me, can you help me sort this through, I do a lot of listening. And then I ask the question, what is it you want? And sometimes after laying all that out, they don't even know what they want. Right? Well, that's an occasion for prayer as well. Yeah. Not this is, a, this is a situation, God, and this is what you must do. This is the situation. How should I be reacting to it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You see, so prayer is much more than making our petitions known to God. It's how we communicate. And for the believer, sometimes the Holy Spirit says, the problem isn't with that person, the problem is with you. Even if a lot of people would say, what you're going for is holy, holiness is holiness, but you have to have the correct motive. Yeah. So to go back to what we started talking about at the outset, about the misuse or abuse of bringing our petitions to the greater body, what would you suggest if somebody finds themselves in a situation that the prayer meeting, the prayer chain is really turning into a gossip mill, for good reasons, of course, but it's turning into a gossip mill and potentially slandering people who, if we're just sending information, what I heard. So this person brings a, a prayer request. We're not 100% sure that this person is seeing something correctly. And so if we're passing along while well, her relative is being unfaithful to his wife, maybe he's not. Maybe she doesn't really know. So how do we check ourselves to be righteous in our own actions and response and maybe call attention to the person who might be inadvertently doing something that is contrary to the will of God.
0: Well, we've got two different options on that, and a lot of it depends on who you're you're in bed with, who's involved in this chain, who's involved in this group. If you've been with them for a while, you should know how many of them are using and abusing it and how many of them are earnest and just don't realize the abuse is going on. Obviously, you want to be able to abstract yourself and not continue to be a, a cog in that bad wheel. You need to be able to answer for that when, when people question. But if the majority of people in the group you feel, you notice you have known them for a while, and you think that they would be surprised that they've let it get this far and that, that it needs the, the attention call to it, then don't pull yourself out immediately. Speak up and say, I'm a little concerned. I think this is where we've been going with this, and I think we need to fix this system. If the majority of the people in that system would be earnestly swayed and would realize, oh, you're right, we have been, we need to, we need to get rid of them, then make a difference in the existing system. Your knee-jerk reaction shouldn't be, oh, well, I, I've got it figured out, so I'm just going to pull myself away from all these crazy sinners. You're accountable to them too. And while you could sit there, pull yourself out, and then let every single one of them come to you or hope that every single one of them comes to you so you can explain it, for efficiency's sake, since you're already there in the same room, go ahead and say something and see if you can't, as a group come together because that's a fellowship building exercise. That's a community building exercise. Let's, let's see if we can fix this together. Do we all agree? Can we pursue this together? Here's something earnestly for us to all pray about. Um, (laughs) Let's spend, let's spend time here praying about it together. Let's fix the system. If the system that you're in is really just taken over by a lot of the church busybodies, and there's maybe two or three people that, might be able to pray in a in a better manner that, that might understand this, then pull yourself out slowly. Talk to those two or three and explain, hey, I, I didn't want to leave you hanging, but just so you know, this is why I'm kind of out of this because I don't feel like it's going earnestly and because it's leading people to temptation and I don't want to be a stumbling block for others. I can't contribute to this in this fashion in the way that it's being used and abused. Save as many with you as you can. <laughs> but but have the wherewithal to notice whether that's going to be the group and the, the system as it exists, the, the group and, and the, the prayer body or prayer chain that can be fixed, or whether it's just a toss it in the pile and start afresh.
1: This goes to a very important point. Too often we have forgotten our role with one another to exhort each other to good works. Sometimes that involves a rebuke, and we can decide that rebuke is nasty, and sometimes it may come across as nasty, especially if you're the one sinning. So you, you you need a rebuke or you need exhortation to pursue a greater degree of holiness. And I think too few people recognize their proprietary interest in other members of the body of Christ. I have a responsibility. If I see something, I can just talk about it, or as you put it, I can just pull myself out. But am I seeing it because God wants me to do something about it, as opposed to, I'll just pray that these people have personality changes and then they won't do this. (laughs) That's where God's law is so important. If we don't study God's law in order to be approved, that we're correctly applying God's word, then what's the point? It's not just about our own personal salvation. If we really are going to be declaring the crown rights of Jesus Christ That means that we have to say in the prayer chain, in the academic setting, in the civil realm, God's law must reign supreme. But you can't say it if you don't understand it. And you can't understand it unless you actually study it. And that's why... You don't say all that you need to know as a wife and mother is how to keep the house clean, how to get the food on the table, how to make sure that the bills are paid or whatever it is. Those are all necessary things. But the greater thing is the establishment that our holiness is tied into our correct application of God's word, God's law in our day-to-day lives. As always, Kathy, I enjoy our conversations. Listeners, you can get more information about this orientation by visiting the kingdomdrivenfamily.com. and I hope you join us again next time as we delve into issues that will be useful for women in their pursuit of kingdom
0: service. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit the kingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.